Father, um, we certainly need you every hour. Uh, we certainly um, have the blessing of having been brought into relationship with you through Christ, of having been introduced to you uh, not as a distant God, not as just uh, one among many, um, not just as the almighty God that, that holds the universe in place, but as our Father, as the best Father in the universe. Uh, what all of the best earthly fathers are just distorted pictures of. We've been introduced to you as our Abba, our Daddy. When we know you through Christ, we have all of you. And I'm so grateful for that. Lord, I need you right now to help my words reflect your words and your truth. And we need for your Holy Spirit to drive them home to our hearts, to take out our hearts of flesh, I take out of our hearts our stone rather than to give us hearts of flesh, Father, so that it can begin beating again because we're lost without you. So Lord, I pray that you would speak clearly this morning through your word, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I, I may have shared this story with you before um, of, of the uh, thief that broke into a man's apartment, and um, there is, he's, uh, fumbling around in the dark, trying not to alert the neighbors, trying not to uh, to make any any noise or or um, or set set off to what he's doing, he, he hears his voice come out of the dark. Jesus is watching. What in the world? It, it doesn't take long for him to recognize that it's the voice of a parrot. Every about two minutes, keeps saying, "Jesus is watching." And he's like, well, you know, thank goodness I'm not a religious person or else that wouldn't matter, would matter to me to some degree. Or Comes again, Jesus is watching. Then the final two minutes later, he hears, sick him, Jesus. Has a Rottweiler coming out from the kitchen at him, named Jesus. More so than this man's apartment was guarded by someone named Jesus, we are guarded by Jesus and the gospel that he makes possible. Understand something, that a whole gospel relationship with God, the fact that we have good news that, that is the solution to the bad news of just how much sin has wrecked us, and wrecked our world, and wrecked our opportunity to have a relationship with God. The answer to that bad news is the good news of who Jesus is. Being fully God, and fully man, and fully capable to change everything about us. Through relationship with God, through him. Uh, But Christians in America, Americans in general are growing in an ignorance of who Jesus is. And uh, generations of children, a, a generation of kids are growing up not even learning of who Jesus is. 
researchers George Gallup and Jim Castelli have said Americans revere the Bible, but by and large, they don't read it. And because they don't read it, they have become a nation of biblical illiterates. The Apostle Paul, in writing God's special letter, being used by the Holy Spirit to write God's special letter to the churches that are in Rome, those house churches that we talked about last week, he warned them of teachings that would be coming to them that would distort this gospel that he has been proclaiming to them in this letter of the Romans, of, of, that we know is Romans. And so we pick back up here in ver- chapter 16, verses 17 through 20 this morning. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Now, from looking at this this morning, I want you to understand and take away from here this idea that what God accomplishes, I'm sorry, that's the wrong thing up on on this slide, and I just happen to be reading the screen in front of me. My mad. Our effectiveness in following Christ together comes through our knowing, guarding, and being encouraged by the truth of the gospel. Our effectiveness in following Christ together comes from knowing, guarding, and being, in, and being encouraged by the truth of the gospel. If we lose that, if we lose our knowing it, our growing it, our guarding it, by, God, by not guarding it, if we lose our encouragement that comes from the gospel, we lose our effectiveness in reaching others. We lose our effectiveness in our children being able to live out a gospel-filled life. How is America doing when it comes to understanding the Bible and the gospel that it proclaims? Researchers tell us that it's worse than any could imagine. Less than half of American adults can name the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Many Christians cannot identify more than two of the three disciples. And these are just, you know, tangential facts that people would pick up if they were reading their Bible. According to the Barna Research Group, 60% of Americans cannot name five of the Ten Commandments. And George Barna goes on to say, no wonder people break the Ten Commandments all the time. They don't even know what they are. Several surveys reveal the problem in clear terms. 82% believe that God helps those who help themselves is a Bible verse. And those who identify as born-again Christians only best that by 1%. Still 81% believe that. A majority of adults think the Bible teaches that the most important purpose in life is taking care of one's family. I mean, how many of you grew up with a dad that was like, you know how I love my family? I provide. Well, now, the majority of adults in America think 
That is God's biggest plan for them. Some of the statistics are enough to befuddle even the most aware of, of those who are most aware of the problem, the the researchers. The Barna poll indicates that 12% of adults believe that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. And and our, our nation said goodbye to Billy Graham, at least his earthly body, as it was buried this morning, and and have revered and and mourned his passing. But a large number of people in our nation believe that he preached the Sermon on the Mount. Another survey of graduating high schoolers showed that over 50% of them thought that Sodom and Gomorrah are husband and wife. And Albert Moeller says to this, this generation must get deadly serious about what the problem about the problem of biblical illiteracy or a frightening number of Americans Christians included will go on thinking that Sodom and Gomorrah lived happily ever after. So our passage reinforces Dr. Moeller's call to urgency with the authority of scripture. And through it, we see our first challenge here, and that is that we must protect each other by guarding the gospel. We must protect one another as fellow harvesters. We must protect our children, our grandchildren. We must protect our neighbors and their opportunity to turn to Christ as their Savior by guarding the gospel, guarding what it means to come into a relationship with God by a fully sufficient Savior who, had, who we needed 100% for him to be who he was as the God-man and to do what he did in taking our sins on the cross. When, when it says, I appeal to you, both the NIV, the, the New American Standard, and the New Revised Standard puts this as, I urge you, it's urgent. I urge you to keep watch and to avoid certain people. One writer describes Paul's experience at this point, and he is accustomed to having uh, false teachers follow him wherever he went, and it's assumed he hasn't been to Rome yet, so he's kind of like, okay, just letting you know, this is what's coming. It says, the sort of people the apostle singles out here do not yet seem to have come yet on the Roman scene, but posed a threat of doing so. Paul does not simplify the particular doctrines of these interlopers, don't you love that word? Uh, Or or what they're going to be teaching, uh, contrary to the gospel. But he's quite pointed in identifying their motives and tactics, which suggests that his warning is based on his missionary experience that often brought him into contact with false teachers who tried to build their own work on the foundation that he had laid They had tried to build their work on the foundation of the gospel. He even tells elders of the churches that came to visit him on his way back to uh, Jerusalem um, to, to bring that offering there. They came and visited him in Ephesus. And he tells them in Acts 20, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. 
the fact is, is the amazing grace of God in a lot of ways opens up the potential for people to, to warp it or, or to discount it saying, it, that's too amazing. Yeah, I've shared with you before that Charles Spurgeon once said, if a preacher is not being accused of making too much of the grace of God, he's probably not really preaching the grace of God. Because it seems too much. It seems too amazing. Speaking of false teachers, on, uh, teaching, false teachers teaching about, uh, falsely about God's grace, one writer says it seems too good to be true. That's because it is. But don't worry. You can teach you. I can teach you. the. It's like they're saying, I'm sorry, this is what the false teachers would be saying. It, you know, it seems too good to be true, but that's because it is. But don't worry. I have the special knowledge. I have these special works that you need to do to make sure that you get all that grace. To make sure that you, you know, that, that Paul guy, that, that gospel preacher, whichever, they just left out those other things that you need to add. Verse 18 gives us here the reason for the urgency to watch out and avoid certain teachers. And it's because um, we're so apt listen we're so apt to believe we're so because of the way that they come across the, speaking specifically of these that Paul had had experience with is that they would appear to be desiring to teach a relationship with God through Christ but they were serving themselves with the body of Christ not serving Jesus they would add to the gospel by first taking away the sufficiency of Jesus' person and his work I mean Look at the major cults of our day and go straight, if you want to see this, go straight to their explanation of Jesus. Well, yes, he was a man, but he, he wasn't eternally God. He became God at some point. Or um, he was a man, but he didn't really die. Or he died and he didn't really rise from the dead. His spirit rose from the dead. So they notch away at who Jesus is, and it arrives at, see, I will teach you how you need to make up for this insufficiency in who Jesus is. And who becomes the authority? They do. So these teachers were the experts on what you must be adding to Christ, some extra work, some extra knowledge. One commentary says they may talk about the Lord, but they do not serve him. Rather, they serve their own appetites. Maybe their appetites for praise, their appetites for popularity. Paul warned Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, if anyone teaches a different doctrine that does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up and conceited and understands nothing. In other words, he's building on some other foundation. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissensions, slander, evil suspicions. What most uh, scholars believe, Paul wrote Philippians, the, book, the letter to the Philippian church from Rome upon visiting there. His visit to Rome had not uh, improved his understanding of these people. 
He writes in Philippians 3, Many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and their glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Understand something. They're enemies of the cross of Christ, but they would not have needed, Paul would not have needed to warn the Philippian church or warn the Roman church as he does if they did not have the ability to get into the church. But yet the diminishment of the person of Christ or the sufficiency of his work or the need for his work made them enemies of his cross. They target the, with their destructive teaching the naive, which means innocent or unsuspecting. But they don't come in and say, guess what, everybody? I have got a new teaching. No, it's with gentlemanliness. It's smooth. It's flattering. This doesn't mean slippery. It doesn't mean like the person that's like, ooh, there's something about him. Creeps me out. It actually means with all the, the approval, with, with everything that they need to do to, to, to seem um, pleasant, and, and, and like they have something good to say. John Piper says about this, the reason we must be so vigilant over biblical doctrine is that those who depart from it take simple people with them by pleasant and plausible speech that presents itself as a blessing. False teachers don't get a following by being rough and harsh. They get a following by being nice. This means that they will seldom be popular to resist It will seldom be popular to resist false teachers in the church because they are almost always perceived as being a blessing and speaking with winsome words. They are gentlemen, he closes with. Uh, Two of these, one in the early church, his name was Arius. And uh, from him, uh, so many cults that would say they follow Christ are actually following Arianism or an idea of Christ that, that he wasn't always God. And Arius was a teacher from A.D. 336, so about 300 years after Christ. And uh, Parker Williamson, a historian, describes Arius in this way. He was a bright, energetic, attractive fellow, a kind of citizen whom any Rotary Club would welcome. Singing sea, shan- singing sea shanties, in dockside pubs and teaching Bible stories to the Wednesday night faithful. This was an immensely popular man. His story reminds us that heresy does not bludgeon us into belief. We are seduced. America is certainly filled with false teachers today, but we were actually told that this would take place. Timothy was warned in 1 Timothy 4. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. But, but it was also foretold that people in these last days, and we'll kind of get into at the end here what is meant by last days, that people will be readily interested in hearing very biblical-sounding teaching that makes them feel better about themselves, makes them feel better about who they are just without being changed by the grace of God. Timothy is warned in 2 Timothy 4.3. 1 
For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to to suit their own passions. I I was thinking today, you know, what would this look like? You know, I mean, I was reading in John 11 this morning, and, and I thought, you know, are, are, are you going to have someday somebody saying, hey, Jesus was fine with homosexuality. Look, he says to Lazarus, and, and they'll say it from Bible verses, he says to Lazarus, Lazarus, come out. Bill's the only one that gets that. You know, is there going to be the church of Las Vegas where right on their marquee says, uh, let him who is married act like he is not? They will take Bible passages even to say, hey, look, we're teaching the Bible. Many full-fledged organizations add to the gospel by first taking away, as I've mentioned, from the sufficiency of Jesus Christ's person and work and telling us how, or, or, or telling us how a person must add to their own good works in order to be saved. Or they take away from the necessity of Christ's person and work. And they explain how our sin didn't really require his sacrifice or our repentance. In fact, there's something within you that Jesus just wants to, to bring out of you. And really, uh, what's most beautiful is already within you. And God just wants to refine that. Well, we're told to be watchful. as we are protecting each other by guarding the gospel. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Jeremiah, the prophet of the Old Testament, warned. Uh, actually, he shared what God had told him. It says, the Lord said to me, the prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I did not send them nor did I command them to speak to them. They are prophesying to you a lying vision, worthless divination, and a deceit of their own minds. And Jesus warned in Matthew 7, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. We get that idea of wolves in sheep's clothing from his warning here. All of what God's letter to the Romans has been about up to this point is an, is an explanation and a defense of salvation by grace through faith and this in the sufficient grace I'm sorry faith in the sufficient work of our savior and it's also addressed misunderstandings that arise from it remember uh, Romans 6 starts with should we so so is what they are saying about us true that that we should go on sinning so that grace might increase so in reality, those, those, those teachers weren't saying, hey, look what the gospel lets you do. They were saying, look, what kind of, you know, this grace is ridiculous. These, these Christians are just sinning and sinning because of this grace stuff. It was, an, it was at its core an attack of the grace of the gospel that we are truly, when we receive Christ's payment for ourselves and accept that, that he truly not only 
paid for our sins but gives us his righteousness. Christ in my place, both in payment for my sin and both his righteousness in place of mine. And all throughout the book of Romans, Paul was explaining how that transforms us. It transforms our relationships. It transforms who we are, but we are transformed by the true and unfettered grace of God. But the the only division that there should be in the church should be a defense of the gospel. You know, he's saying these people bring divisions and they place obstacles with that, that term is, is similar to our term, term scandals. And, and these obstacles are contrary to the gospel. The only obstacle that we should have or that we should put in people's place is the gospel itself because it's hard to accept. It's hard to set aside our works. It's hard to set aside our idea of some sort of self-worth that makes us worthy of salvation. This was explained to us in Romans 9, explaining and reminding us of why some, so many stumble over the cross. It's because they want to add works to it. Remember that in Romans 9, 32? It says it's because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone. Kind of a nickname for the gospel. Recently, I, I got to know a, a young man, and, and um, he was talking a lot of biblical ideas and, and um, talked a lot about the gospel and the word and stuff. But when he would talk about God or Jesus, he'd talk about Jehovah. And, and, and I actually met him because he came to my table at McDonald's, and he was like, started talking about the Lord with me. And he said, you know, I, I just knew that the God wants me to be a witness. I put, I, as I talked to him, I realized he had been, um, most of his Bible knowledge had come through Jehovah's Witnesses. And so in seeking to minister to him, I just kind of started looking into uh, doctrines of Jehovah's Witnesses and things like that. And, and, and it's certainly, I tell you, if, if, there's, if there's an example today of Arianism in our day, decreasing who Jesus is in his sufficiency, it would be in this cult of the Jehovah's Witnesses. But they would call themselves, we're just a denomination. They'll knock on your door and say, we'd like to have a Bible study with you. And, and uh, you, you, you know what? That, your translation of that verse, it, it's been changed. You need to read that in my translation. You realize every hour of the day and night around the world, there are over 250,000 Jehovah's Witnesses knocking on doors. You know why that is? Because as, as, as sad as it is, distortions of the gospel are very effective. They're very effective at getting people to do, do, do. Because they've been taught it has not been done. It hasn't been done for you. So you better get out there and do, do, do. But through Christ, it has been done. And a relationship with him is based on the fact that I couldn't do it, but he did it. 
Now I do what I do out of love for him, in relationship with him, being led by him, being convicted by the Holy Spirit that now indwells me. We're called not to just be watchful, but actually to be avoiding. In our, in our culture, avoiding is like a very bad term, you know, somebody avoiding an issue or, or avoiding certain people. But the call here, Paul tells the Roman believers, avoid them. It means to turn away, the New American Standard says, or keep away, is what the, what the NIV puts it. The, it's the present imperative. Keep on turning away. And certainly Paul was speaking to the urgency as he urges them in this, in this um, young, uh, multiple bodies of believers and seeing what had been happening in Asia Minor to the churches there. Well, one writer says, speaking of Paul's instruction to watch out, he says this, such counsel is not enough. As a practical measure, they must keep away from them, giving them no opportunity for inroads into the congregation. Isn't that ironic? Within the body of believers, we are called to pursue a unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We're called to keep... um, There shouldn't be a divisiveness here. And, and, but yet Paul is telling here when it comes to somebody who's distorting, distorting the gospel, the way to protect against the divisions within the body is to avoid letting these people speak to the body. Okay, so in this situation, it would have been teachers coming and saying, oh, brothers, yes, Jesus, yes, amen, awesome. He's just wonderful. Yes, I'm a fellow brother. I've come, I've come here from from Jerusalem or I've come here from Asia Minor and and I just have a blessing to bring to you from God's word. And Paul's saying, don't let them. Don't let them. Even if they do in the most respectful and gentlemanly way. Understand, pursuing a unity of the spirit in the bond of peace assumes that the sufficiency of the gospel is our common bond. we know about, in, as parents, we know about the danger of not avoiding certain situations or certain people. And, and we have to kind of gauge that with different situations because not everybody has our values. Not everybody has our beliefs and things like that. I mean, we tend to disregard um, the warning signs to avoid someone when they have something in common with us that we don't want to lose maybe. And we have, to, we have to kind of discern situations when, where it's a coach that doesn't have a godly lifestyle or, or is a poor example of an adult. And sometimes we teach our kids through that and we're kind of like, okay, you know, he talks that way because of this. Or, or maybe it's a fellow homeschooling family. Maybe they're, they're not the best influence or, or something like that. And we have to discern through that. Or, or family friends with lifestyle differences. But, but understand something, no matter if it's a fellow homeschooling student, a family, or family friends, or something like that, if they are so close yet distorting the gospel for your kid's sake, keep them away. Avoid them. If it brings a distortion to what the gospel is at its core, in the sufficiency of Christ. 
So verse 17 through 18 warn against embracing a teacher who's actually a wolf in sheep's clothing. Verse 19 challenges the reader to be careful about immersing themselves, immersing ourselves in false teachings, even for the purpose of defending against it. We should grow by understanding the truth. That's what he means when he says, for your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. Or as the the New Revised Standard puts it maybe a little bit more understandably, for while your obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you, I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. He's saying, "I, I, I recognize you are doing an amazing job here. Don't think of yourself, Roman church, as if like, well, we can handle it. We can handle anything. We can discern it. In other words, these are some things that you just don't need to embrace, even if to debunk it, he's telling them. He's telling them um, that he wants them to remain innocent. Um, You know, everybody loves going down to McDonald's or something like that and getting a cold pop, right? Uh, What happens if you sit there for a while and you're, you're, uh, you know, you put a lot of ice in it and, and you fill it, and, and you're sitting there for a while, and you haven't drank it for a while, and, and, and uh, you start s- drinking it, and all of a sudden you realize there's no ice in there anymore. It's just liquid, and it's been diluted. It's been kind of reduced. Not, it's no longer pop. It's pop mixed with water. Understand when he says that you need to be innocent in what is evil, the term there was used for undiluted wine. Be undiluted. Don't let evil, the evil of of attacking the sufficiency of Christ, dilute your understanding of who Christ is. It is so significant to the gospel that we see that Christ's payment, Christ's person, Christ's work is completely sufficient that when he said, it is finished, that your sin was finished on the cross. And that as we will see during the Easter season, that God uses the same term describing followers of Christ when he says, God has perfected through Christ's sacrifice those who he is making holy in everyday life. That term, it is finished on the cross, it has been perfected, he has finished it in us. We have been perfected in his presence, in Christ's righteousness, even as he continually makes us holy. Don't dilute that. He's telling them. J.B. Phillips puts it this way. He captures the the idea well here. I want to see you experts in good and not even beginners in evil. That evil being a diluting of the gospel. Paul is saying, don't give these teachers the time of day. Don't debate them. Don't try to win them over. Keep focused on the truth. And don't worry about understanding what is evil. We make this assumption sometimes with folks that that we assume they follow Christ, but remember what they're described as. They're not serving Christ. Oh, yeah, you know, that's a good point. I'd like to get into that a little bit more because I love Jesus too and Paul's warning is all you need to discern is 
is this person willing to stop and go, Jesus is everything. Jesus is all. Or are they adding something to him? You know, it's funny, I, I realized something having uh, learned about cults and, and false religions and things like that as a Moody student, that sometimes you'd run across somebody that, that is of that religion and pretty quickly into the conversation, uh, you want to kind of show them all this knowledge that you have and stuff. You're, you're almost teaching them what their religion believes. Oh yeah, you know, I know about that and the five levels of this and, you know, the these caste system and these different Hindu gods. Yeah, I, and they're kind of sitting there going, oh knows more about it than I do. But it is always important to come back to what the gospel really is about Christ himself. Albert Moeller's suggestion is this. This reason is our, this really is our problem. And it's up to this generation of Christians to reverse course. Recovery starts at home. Parents are to, be f- are to be the first and most important educators of their own children, diligently teaching them the word of God. Parents cannot franchise their responsibility to the congregation, no matter how faithful and biblical it may be. God assigned parents this non-negotiable responsibility, and children must see their Christian parents as teachers and fellow students of God's word, close quote. So turning to verse 20 here, Paul adds an assurance to his warning. He's written about good and evil, and he wants the Roman Christians to know that there's no doubt about the ultimate outcome, that being the triumph of God's good over Satan's evil. Even the gentlemanly evil, even the smooth-talking evil, I challenge you to trust God's plan by recalling his victory. And that's what we're brought to in verse 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. It's not the grace and your effort. It's not Jesus' grace and um, your understanding that he didn't really die and rise from the dead but he's the best example that we have of a person that lived wonderfully, so let's try to emulate him. The grace of Jesus Christ be with you. In this meantime, while we wait for the God of peace to crush Satan under our feet. Now this is an allusion to Genesis 3.15 where Satan was told about Jesus coming as the seed of the woman that he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Being bruised on the head being more, much more devastating. Psalm 8, 6 prophesied about Christ, the coming Messiah. You had given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Ephesians 1, reminds us, he put all things under Jesus' feet and gave Jesus as head over all things to us, the church. And Hebrews 2 tells us, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. Although, and he recognizes something that we feel at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. You see, we're in this like, it's happened, but it's not yet completed state. One writer says, God will throw him under your feet so that you might trample upon him. 
He has already been decisively defeated, but he's not yet conceded his defeat. Speaking of Satan, he hasn't conceded his defeat yet. So why does he say, soon this will happen? I mean, you're sitting here thinking, this was written 2,000 years ago. When's it coming? He tells them, soon? The God of peace is going to crush Satan under your feet? In other words, this is all going to be over? You're not going to have to put up with, uh, why did you have to twist Jesus in this way? Well, for one thing, it's laying it at the feet of Satan. But when is it going to have to no longer be this discerning of small little statements? Soon. Understand that ever since Jesus' ascension, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension, and the promise that he will come again, we have been what is called the last days. The final days. And by prophetic for prophetic purposes or anything that God would need to accomplish between now and then, nothing is left to be done. Why? Because it was all done in Jesus. There's no more prophet coming, okay? There's no Joseph Smith reading magic tablets on, with magic glasses, letting us know the deeper truth, okay? There's no, there's no Jehovah's Witness prophet that said Jesus was going to come back in 1975, We are in the last days because it has all been done that need be done. And in God's timetable, soon he is going to finally crush his enemy. Isn't it amazing that he he honors us by saying it will be under our feet, the body of Christ? In the meantime, we are to guard the body of Christ against those who are tools of Satan. Jesus told the religious leaders that they opposed him because of their relationship to Satan. He says this in John 8. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. And does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Why don't you believe me? Because I tell you the truth. The truth of what? The truth of who he is. The truth of being God in human flesh. The truth of being the sufficient Savior that's about to do a sufficient work to pay for everyone's sins of all time. Him being eternal God, meaning it can count for everyone of all time. And why is it that they don't choose to believe him? He says, lays it down on the fact that you're children of the devil. And we're encouraged here that that leader of false teachers is finally going to be crushed. John Stott says, God's peace allows no appeasement of the devil. It is only through the destruction of evil that true peace can be attained. So we be on guard in the meantime. 
we guard the gospel. We be watchful. We avoid letting those speak into the lives of the body of Christ who are adding or taking away something, adding to it or taking something away from it. And the evil that we are to avoid until it's destroyed is this, the distortion of the gospel. Let me close with this quote by Albert Moeller again. We will not believe more than we know and we will not live higher than our beliefs. There is no higher belief to protect than the sufficiency and the necessary person and work of Jesus Christ and the gospel. And we will not live, as we've seen all throughout Romans, we will not be transformed if we not, do not fully grasp who he is and what he has done. Let's close in prayer. Lord, as I'm often, often drawn to do at the end of preaching your word, I say again, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your amazing, gracious plan and your amazingly gracious work in your Son. Thank you for everything that Jesus is because we need everything that he is. Our sin was that bad. This world was that put off kilter. Our need was that great. Lord, I pray that you would allow us to regularly remind ourselves of who Jesus is and how awesome it is to have a relationship with you. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here that thinks they stand in relationship with you in their own righteousness, or if they think that, that it was important for them to bring something to the table so that they could negotiate with you of why you should allow them to have a relationship with you, or if there's anyone here that thought, my sin's not that bad, that the gospel's for other people. For me, going to church is, is all that I need. If there's anyone here that, that has thought that, that they don't need a relationship with you through Christ and Christ alone, I pray, Lord God, that you'd make that clear and plain to them and that they would bring their sinful hearts to you to have a relationship with you through Christ and Christ alone. Lord, I pray that we would be a people that proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.